very good morning to my dear brethren and friends, to our guests who have joined us this morning, and also like to welcome those who have uh, taken time to, to join us online as well. Today's topic that I would like to share with everyone would be that of the three words you see on the screen. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. And to kickstart this uh, sermon, I'd like to invite all of us to turn with me okay, to Luke chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to start off uh, with uh, reading this uh, passage and kindly join me so that we can frame our minds and prepare ourselves better as we proceed further into the sermon today. Luke chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. Verse 1, And said he unto the disciples, so this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, It is impossible, but that offences will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Verse 5, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. So there we see those three words, which... Uh, sort of serve as the inspiration for my uh, topic this morning, increase our faith. So just to set the context here, Christ was teaching his disciples about the need to overcome obstacles in their, in their journey with him. Okay, these obstacles are related to stumbling and to, help, to, uh, to uh, encourage them to have this spirit of forgiveness. We see that his disciples uttered these three words in response to what he had spoken to them okay, about the need for forgiveness. So they says their response to him increase our faith. That's in verse five. A few facts that I would like to establish first before we move further. Firstly, now the little ones, okay, as mentioned in this passage here, the little ones here refers to Christians, huh? not just little children. Okay, if you recall in Matthew chapter eighteen, verse two to three, okay, Jesus called a little child towards him, okay, and then he he uh, encourages and teaches his disciples that unless we become as these little children, as a little child, with the hum such a humility, such innocence and purity, we cannot enter the kingdom. Alright? So that, therefore, the, the, word little, the words little ones here refer to Christians and not just children per se. Alright? Now next, Christ also established here about the certainty that offences will be laid in our path. Okay? It's a certain thing, it's definitely going to happen that we are going to have stumbling blocks in our path in our spiritual journey, okay? And this will be there. We have to find our way, okay, and overcome these things. Christ says, woe to the person who intentionally put the stumbling stones there. Alright, so yes, there will be stumbling stones, okay, in our path. We will have a lot of offenses that will come our way. But woe, particularly to the person who intentionally puts the stone there to stumble us in our journey. Alright, so this is something that we need to remember. Now moving on, what is the will that Christ has for us? 
The will here is that he wants us, like his disciples, he wants us to overcome these stumbling blocks in our faith. That's the will of God, right? For us to be better, right? Especially when the Lord okay, tells Cain that he should be a master over sin. To overcome it and don't let it control him instead. So that's the same idea here. Christ wants us to overcome these stumbling blocks that are placed in our faith. Now in overcoming, there are a lot of stumbling blocks that we may have. And in overcoming, right, we need to adopt a spirit of forgiveness. There are many times okay, that uh, invariably because we uh, deal with one another, because it's a human interaction, because of human interaction and there may be bound to be misunderstandings, okay, the need for forgiveness is extremely important. Okay, without forgiveness, we cannot move on. Right? So in overcoming, Christ talks about the need to have this spirit of forgiveness. And he gives us an example of how often we ought to forgive one another. He says seven times in a day. That's in verse 4, right? Okay, elsewhere in scripture, he says 70 times 7. Okay, so I'm not, obviously, Christ here is not saying you go and put a, a marker somewhere and then when, when, when you say, okay, I forgive you, then you strike it off, strike it off. Ah, seven already, that's it for you. I'm not forgiving you anymore. Okay, that's not the spirit that Christ wants us, wants us to adopt. In fact, I would say that he wants us to forgive to the point where it becomes habitual for us. That's why 70 times 7. Okay? You, you, it becomes a part of us. We are inclined to forgive. Alright? So, moving on from here, this brings us to the apostles' response to him, to what he said. Right? He told the apostles, you, I mean, he told the disciples, you must forgive up to 7 times a day. If, if the brother comes to you, say, I repent, you must forgive 7 times. Their response, increase our faith. Okay, so why would the apostles respond in this way? You know, he just, he just told them, you must forgive seven times in a day. The next, response, the next response, increase our faith. Why would they want to respond in this way? Well, if you think about it, perhaps the apostles or the disciples, they recognize the seemingly challenging task uh, that Christ just spoke about. You know, forgiveness, it's, not, it's easy to speak about. It's very easy to say. Okay, I can come here and talk about forgiveness for one and two hours or even a whole day. But by the end of it, practicing it is something else. It's really not easy because it involves human emotions. Alright? And controlling emotion is not exactly a simple thing to do. Managing, managing emotions. So Christ reckon, the, the, what Christ just mentioned could actually be something that's insurmountable for them. Something that is very difficult for them to do. Okay, huh? Forgive so many times. Oh no, it's not easy at all. So it's seemingly challenging for them. So their instinct, their immediate response. They ask Him for help. They ask God for help. Similarly to all of us. Right? The, the immediate response, oh, so difficult. Oh, increase my faith. Okay? So, it is not wrong. I mean, think about it. It's not wrong. Actually, is it wrong to ask for help? Is it wrong to ask God, ask Christ to increase their faith? It's not wrong to ask. Okay? For Christ to increase faith. It's not wrong to ask God to help us. It's not wrong at all. Okay? However, I mean, that being said, we are told to ask, right? In James chapter 1, and we've covered a lot of uh, lessons in recent times, okay, about the book of James. In James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, okay, we are uh, encouraged to ask without wavering, ask without doubting, ask for wisdom. And of course, certainly, if we are asked to ask for wisdom without doubting and God will give it to us liberally, certainly we can ask for many things, right? When we need help, we can ask from God and God will give it to us. Okay, so it is okay to ask. The problem Okay, which I would say, is that they ask because they are asking for a quick remedy. Okay, they are hoping for something quick to be done. But, oh, I think that this is not enough faith. So, uh, 
increase our faith. Just increase our faith because I cannot do this. Increase my faith. So they want a fast remedy okay, from Jesus. They want Jesus to sort of maybe just speak the word or snap his fingers or do something. And aha, their faith is so strong and they feel that they are strong enough. They can go on forgiving people. Okay, That could be the case. So they forgot that faith itself is something that must be nurtured. Nurtured, not just how we raise a child. Nurtured. All right? Faith is something that must be nurtured. And it's not just by God, but of their own individual effort. Faith is very personal as well. Okay? When we ask for God to help us with our faith, we have to do something about it on our own. All right? So that's something that they missed. They missed out on. Now Christ responds them to, to, to them actually in a way is quite unexpected. Huh? Maybe they are hoping that Christ say, okay, I'll do this for you. Don't worry anymore. Go in peace, right? You will go, go in peace and you can do all this. <laughs> he didn't respond in that way, right? You can look for yourselves, right, in, in the following verse as to how Christ responded. Something that they might not have expected, you know. Okay, and this brings me to verse 6. Verse 6. How did Christ respond to them? They ask, increase our faith. Christ responds in verse 6. If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. That is his reply to them. Okay? So, let's make some notes about this particular tree that Christ spoke of. Okay? This sycamine tree. Now, this tree refers to the fig tree. Some people, among commentators, some feel that it's a, it's a fig tree, it's a mulberry tree. Regardless, let's just admit that it is a matured fig tree. Alright? It's a mature big tree, and it's actually very common to the Middle East. Okay, it's a huge tree, it's a tall tree, and as with tall trees, as with huge trees, there will be a powerful root system to support the tree. Okay, it is going to be a fact that the root system must be strong enough to support the tree. So the conclusion here, we Christ is not saying something literal. Okay, Christ is not trying, trying to tell him say, go and tell this tree to move, then it's going to move somewhere else. Okay. He's saying, if we want to do impossible things, you look at the tree, the tree is so rooted, this adult, matured tree is so rooted, it's so big, it's so huge. Right? If you want to do these type of things, that's like the impossible things, the seemingly impossible, the seemingly challenging. If you want to do these things, you want to get them done well, you can do so okay, with a faith as a grain of mustard seed. That is what Christ is telling them to do. Right? So on this note, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit further today about having the faith as a grain of mustard seed. And in doing so, it increases our faith. Now, another mention of a mustard seed faith, right? Uh, if you do a check, okay? Now there's Esau, it's very easy. You can just do a search. Another, another mention of this is in Matthew 17 verse 20. Now Matthew 17 verse 20 uh, is where the disciples, right? They were given some power and dealt with some power from Christ. And then they, they wanted to sort of uh, cure this, uh, this person who was possessed by a demon. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Right? So they came to Jesus and said, hey, we couldn't do this. No? We cannot help this person. Okay? He's still possessed. And then, of course, Christ tells them also that they need to have the faith as of a grain of a mustard seed. But our focus today, really, is not about you know, uh, sp uh, spiritual gifts in that sense. Okay, Our focus today is not about miraculous gifts. It's not about casting out demons. Our focus today is not on these things. All right? Although we believe 
that miracles have ceased and these things okay, are no longer needed even for today. I want us for all to remember that we cannot undermine our faith. It doesn't mean that we cannot, like in the past, they can do all the miracles, they can do this and that, okay, they can go and cure people who are sick. Okay? It doesn't mean that although these things don't apply anymore today, it does not mean that our faith should be undermined. All right? So let's move on from here. The seed of a must, the, the faith as of a grain of mustard seed. So what's so special about this mustard seed? The mustard seed is so small, it's so tiny, okay? You can hardly see it. You know, honestly, I was so tempted to go to scoops and get a grain of mustard seed. And I wanted to like, hey, this is a grain of mustard seed. And then I realized that it's probably not going to work because you probably can't see the grain of the mustard seed. Yeah. And then the next thing is maybe I take the grain of mustard seed and and you know pass it down the, the, the audience and you know that's how some people do it in, in school and things like that. And then before and then I, I guess that I better not because you know along the way some people will be like probably drop that grain and then you can't find it and then it will distract you from the sermon. Forget it. Alright? Yeah. So if you're interested about exactly how it feels, okay, just go to school, they probably sell the mustard seed there, or they probably give you one, okay, out of generosity. Okay, so it is so small, it's so tiny. What's so special about it? What use is there of it? Okay, now I'm no expert about the mustard seed. Okay, but I want us to at least uh, have an understanding of what Christ had in mind when he talks about a mustard seed. Lah. Okay, so he makes another mention of it, of a mustard seed, lah, when he compares it to the kingdom of God. When he compares it to the kingdom of God. But at least the verse in that context, it gives us an idea of what he really means when he refers to a mustard seed. Okay, that's in Mark chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Okay, so at least we know in, his, in Christ's idea, what, does he, what is he trying to uh, illustrate when he talks about a mustard seed? Okay, so in Mark 4, verse 31 and 32, he says, it is, I mean, he's making reference to the kingdom of God. Okay, but of course, uh, the, description in, the description that follows ties in with the mustard seed itself. Alright, it is like a grain of mustard seed which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth up great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Alright, so this is what Christ has in mind when he talks about a mustard seed, okay, for it to grow. Alright, and so, with that, Okay, this is what I'll be talking about, okay, as the main body of the sermon today. Okay, the faith as a grain of mustard seed. Okay, uh, let's not try to do the, <laughs> to make the comparisons there, the 20mm and things like that. Okay, alright, now, there are three main points that I would like to share this morning about having the faith as a grain of mustard seed. Alright, so, the first main point, I'll talk about the need to have a growing faith. Second main point I will talk about is the need to have a productive faith. And last but not least, we talk about a rooted faith. Alright, so these are three main things which I would like to spend time on this morning. A growing faith. Right? Now, um, I'm not sure how many of you recognize the picture that you see on, this, on the slide over here. I certainly do. Okay, uh, back in uh, maybe kindergarten days or primary school days. Right? In fact, in recent times, uh, my daughter brought back uh, a lot of these green beans, green beans. Uh, did my mom make green beans today? Yeah, I think he, she did. Yeah, no, trust me, it's not for my mom's stash. Okay, anyway, she brought back the green beans, and then you know what you asked to ask to do, right? With the green beans, what are you supposed to do with the green beans? You take the green beans, you take the cotton wool, you put some water, you damp it a little, 
Yeah, then you put the green bean on the cotton wool and then you put it in some, some holder. Some of us nowadays, we use the eggshell holder. Yeah. You put it there and then you just leave it alone. Put it in a nice cozy place and just wait. Right? Uh, of course, we know how these things usually end up, right? At least for me, right? Nothing, long, not, nothing longer than a week and that's it. Okay? Yeah. But you see, that's the idea about growth. Uh, we get very excited, uh, okay? Um, growth is important to us in many spheres of life. Growth. In work, we expect to see growth. We hope to see growth. If you're doing the same thing this morning, I'm just sharing with uh, uh, two of my brethren, I say, oh, every day I do, I'm doing almost the same thing. Maybe it's time to have a change of environment. Right? Because we want to see some growth right? in terms of our work, in terms of responsibilities. Wealth, something that people are so concerned with, especially in today's current uh, economy. With, with inflation and things like that, people talking so much about it, okay? somehow we feel that we need to grow our wealth. Education, okay? something that many of us can relate to, especially as long as we stay here, okay, most of the time, okay, you would understand the preciousness of having an education in Singapore, right? Um, raising children, in fact. Raising children also, we expect to see growth, right? Growth in their studies. Ah, sorry, I can't remember the, I can't count the number of times I've asked uh, my girls to stand at a particular measuring tape that's, that's along my wall uh, back at home. Yeah, I can't remember, okay? But I, I, every now and then, I, I ask them to stand there and then I take, the, take a book or something and put it over their head. Uh, you know what I'm trying to do, right? Yeah, I'm trying to measure their height and I'm hoping that they grow, uh, right? I'm hoping that they grow, right? So even physical growth is quite important to me, okay? So growth is important to us, right? It is the same for farmers, right? They take seeds, they expect, they plant the seeds, they expect the seeds to grow, right? If they put the seeds, for example, the green bean that I was sharing with you about, I put the green bean in the holder, I put the water, I put the uh, cotton wool, and then day after day, I go back, I look at it, I go back, I look at it. After one week, I look at it, and it's still the same green bean there. Nothing has changed. Am I going to be extremely happy? I doubt so. I'm never going to be happy. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to ask myself, hey, why? What's missing? I feel a bit upset. I feel a bit concerned. Right? So it's the same. Huh? It's the same. Whether it's a farmer, whether you're growing your own plants at home, you don't plant something, okay, put it in the soil and, you know, water and put it in the sunlight and then after two months later, you see the same seed over there and you go like, yes, success. No. Okay? So God's purpose really for us also is to grow our faith. If we can recognize the need for growth in so many areas of our life and even in simple, simple things, it just tells us that we need to grow our faith as well. Alright? In fact, Jesus himself recognized the varying levels of faith of those who believe in him. And he, he recognized it. He recognized it, right? In Matthew 16, verse 8, for example, okay? He, uh, which, I'll just read the verse, right? Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, that's talking to his disciples, O ye of little faith, little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. So the context here, of course, is they didn't, bread, didn't bring bread along with them. And then Christ was telling them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven. And then the disciples was wondering, oh no, beware of the leaven. So they, they probably thought that, you know, is he telling us to be careful what, what bread we, take, we get from the Pharisees? Uh, so they were thinking, oh no, maybe he's telling us, don't go and get, no, we don't have bread. Don't go and take it from the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, be careful, no, don't know what they're going to give us. Of course, Christ doesn't mean that, okay? but Christ told them, okay? O ye of little faith. Okay? Of course, they misunderstood what he meant. Matthew 8 verse 10, okay, the other side of the spectrum, okay? Christ actually commended, he commended, right, the centurion, 
for the great faith, right? Okay, so when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He's talking about the faith that the centurion had because his servant was unwell, sick of the palsy. He went to Jesus. Jesus said, hey, okay, I'm going to, I'll come to your place. Okay, I'm going to help, help him. The centurion told him, say, nay, just speak the word and he shall be healed. Just speak the word. Right. So Christ commended him for his faith. All right? So when we talk about growing faith, there are some sub-points which I'd like to share. First and foremost, a growing faith definitely means there's growth in conviction. There's growth in conviction. I bring your attention to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Back to something foundational perhaps. Right? We often refer to this verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? Faith is something that informs us or at least because of faith, okay, we believe in something that we cannot see. We believe in God's existence. We believe that He is. Okay? And there are a lot of things that honestly are not tangible in life and we believe it. We believe it. Okay? So faith is the one that helps us put our trust in God. All right? uh, in fact, in Hebrews 10 verse 22, the Hebrew writer says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So here the Hebrew writer talks about having a full assurance of faith as we go to God. Certainly, okay, this seems to imply that some people are not fully assured of their faith. So how do we get that full assurance of faith? How do we increase our faith to the point where we can be fully assured? That is a crucial question for us to consider. All right? um, back to Hebrews 11 verse 1, I'd like to point out that particular word there, substance. Substance of things hoped for. Substance. So this word substance, okay, hypostasis, uh, okay, this word substance actually, when we look at other verses, is translated as confident and confidence. Okay, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 4, and in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Confident and confidence. Right, so this gives us an idea okay, that as our faith grows, our confidence in God grows. Our conviction, our personal belief in God grows. Okay? A Christian with a growing faith becomes more convinced in his belief in God as he ages spiritually. Right. How do we grow that conviction? We grow it by examining the evidences of God. We grow it by, by being aware of the promises that He has fulfilled and His promises that He will fulfill. We grow it okay, by examining different different reasons for God. Okay? And of course, along, the, along this sermon, I'll be making mention of other things as well that we use to grow our faith, especially in the area of conviction. So it's important to grow in conviction. If a Christian expects to develop a faith as a grain of mustard seed, a Christian must grow in conviction. Next, the Christian also must grow in perceived value of his or her faith. Okay, to grow in perceived value of his or her faith. In 2 Peter 1 verse 1, okay, 
It reads that Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice the word that precious faith. Precious. Precious means something that matters. Something that matters. Something that you want to cherish. Something that you want to protect. Right? Is there something that you own that you feel that is precious to you? Right? Um, just about uh, two, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, okay? I, it was raining. And I was wearing my rather relatively new pair of sneakers. To me, that's very precious. For those of you sneaker lovers here, right? For those of you who, who like sneakers or something that you own, that you wear, don't you find yourself being a bit more careful when you are walking because you want to avoid stepping onto the mud? Of course, I tried. It was raining. I tried. And I, 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 can, I was very, very uh, proud of myself because I managed to make 90% of my journey uh, almost back home. I could see my home from where I was. I was walking back home already until I stepped on the puddle of water. Yeah. And I, uh, I just walk, just walk. Don't think really. Okay. So but it was precious to me at least, at least at that point. Okay? So that's a tangible example. Okay? But is our faith precious to us? Something that we must ask ourselves. Is our faith precious to us? Is your faith precious to you? Do you value your faith? Or is it something that we just you just talk about it and then oh it's nothing to me? If your faith is precious to you, would you do something to develop it? Would you do something to protect it? Would you do something to cultivate it? I think that's something that we need to think about. Right? So a faith that grows is a faith that matters to the person. It matters because this person would know the value of it and feel strongly for it. So if it matters, it is cherished and it's not easily thrown away. That's something we must do for our faith. If we want to have the faith as a grain of mustard seed, we must understand that faith has value. Our faith has value. Your individual faith and my individual faith has value and we need to do our best to protect it and to grow it. Next, growth in discipline. Growth in discipline. Naturally, if we, you know, we talk about the beginning, having a faith that starts because we, we examine the evidences of God and we believe that God exists and believe in His Word. It starts from there. And then we talk about how we understand that there's value in our faith the next logical step is to have discipline, to cultivate it. So there's growth in discipline, right? A growing faith requires growth in discipline. In fact, in Matthew 17, verse 20 to 21, okay, back to the context which I was speaking about earlier, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, right? Remember, they were asking him why they couldn't, they couldn't uh, cure the person who was possessed, right? This is Christ's response. Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto the mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. So you see there, there is something that needs to be done. There's something else in addition to just them having their faith alone, or their level of faith. Okay? So there's discipline that needs to be done. There's things that you need to invest into it. A Christian who desires growth in faith needs to invest in it. They need to put in time, they need to put in effort, 
they need to sacrifice for it. Okay? And it is the same thing as with the mastery of a lot of skills or a lot of abilities that we have. Okay? It goes step by step. Right? Think about how you pick up a skill. For example, whether it's riding a bike, whether it's swimming, okay? These things need the skill needs to be nurtured in order to attain a certain level of mastery. Right? Likewise, faith is like this. It has to start from somewhere at the bottom, but you have to put in steps. You have to put in effort and steps, and it goes into different phases before you can attain maturity in the faith. So there, therefore, discipline is extremely important. So that's about us having a growing faith. We need to have a growing faith. All right. Now we talk about the second point, main point, which is a productive faith. We need to have a productive faith. Right? We talk, we talk about how you know, I talk about how when we plant something, we expect to see the results. Right? The flowers only bloom where we water. The flowers only bloom where we water. And water in this area, the flowers will bloom in this area. If I don't put water, nothing is going to happen. Okay? We must have a productive faith. And of course, certainly, we cannot just speak of it. We cannot just speak of it. We cannot just perhaps attend our services and then dismiss and carry on our lives with no change whatsoever. Okay? So we must show our faith and not just speak of it. And we cannot be content that, uh, with a faith that does not produce. Similarly to how we should not be contented with a tree that does not bear fruit. We cannot. A tree that does not bear fruit to the fruit seller. What value is there? What value? Zero, right? No value. In fact, it's taking up space. Right? I don't think... The fruit seller will go, oh, very poor thing, uh, sayang, uh, yo, uh, this, this, this tree not working, uh, but you know, I put so long, so much effort already. Then all, oh, that is so big, you know, in his, in his farm. It's so big, can you imagine? And then there's no more space to, to, to plant other things. You wouldn't do that, alright? In James 2, 17 to 18, okay, we're reminded, it reads there, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. My faith by my works. Not by my faith by talking about it. Not my faith by looking at someone else. But it's showing you my faith by my works. Right? So the faith must be productive. So in line with having a productive faith, first and foremost, I'd say that it must be a faith that produces fruits, as mentioned earlier. It must be a faith that produces fruits. Okay? In fact, Matthew 7 verse 19 to 20 tells us, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by, the, by their fruits ye shall know them. We, we shall know them. We shall know whether they are true children of God through the fruits, to the things that they do, to the observable things that they do. That's what Jesus is saying. We shall know that. You don't have to worry about it. You can tell it from their fruits. We expect specific seeds to grow into plants and produce respective fruit. Right? I plant a durian seed. I expect it to grow up ultimately into a durian tree and produce rambutans. No way. Right? I plant a durian seed, I expect a durian tree, and I have durian fruits. Then I can eat my Mao Shang Wang durian. Correct? It's the same thing goes. If the seed is the word of God, and it plants the word of God into our heart, 
the tree that grows and bears fruit, it must be something that can be recognized as the fruits that God demands of us. Not the fruits that from someone else, not the fruit that what someone other people say. Okay? So, we have to follow the seed, right, that is planted in our hearts. The fruit that we bear also produces stronger Christian identity. Yeah. That's what it means, actually. It's reflected in Matthew 7, verse 19 to 20. It's about the identity that we shine to people. Okay? The fruit. We want to show people that, hey, you are a Christian. Don't just talk about it. No point to talk about it. You go around telling people, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You can tell people about yourself. But if you don't show it in the day-to-day life, don't show it to the people around, then it amounts to nothing because they are not convinced. Because your identity is not shining as a Christian. So we have to be mindful of this. And the Bible talks also of many types of fruits. Huh? We have fruits of the Spirit. And of course, that is a whole entire sermon itself, right? We have fruits of righteousness. We have fruits of repentance. Different types of fruits that's mentioned in the Bible. I invite you to go and study deeper about the different fruits that's mentioned in the Bible. But really, the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we producing these fruits or are we not? And if, we're not, and if we are producing the fruit, I may go one step further. What quality of fruit are we producing? What quality? Okay? So something for us to think about as we move on to the next point that I have to share. A productive faith is also a faith that produces faith. Huh? What are you talking about? Eat too much in the morning, is it? I was telling Emma, say, if I eat too much in the morning, later he may have to come up and replace me because the blood is no longer here. The blood is all on the tummy. Yeah. Faith that produces faith. How can this happen? Well, I refer you to a few verses, yeah? Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. We are familiar with this, right? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, that's, that's a Paul, right? And he's writing to Timothy, right? When I call the Apostle Paul, right? he's writing to Timothy, okay? Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Louise and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Now note that it was dwelt, it dwelt first, that faith, that faith that Timothy has, dwelt first in his grandmother and his mother. It dwelt first there. But it's not in him. So, in a way, there is a ripple effect. In a way, there's a ripple effect. That faith has produced faith. Okay, that's what I mean. Alright? So, parents especially, grandparents even, I mean, these verses tell us, right? Grandparents, parents. We're all important in nurturing the faith of the next generation. We can't leave it to, for example, the Bible class teachers. We can't leave it to, for example, just bringing our children for Sunday classes. It it doesn't work that way, right? Because clearly, it's implied over here that if if we want the next generation to have faith, and it's a light, precious faith, adding on to the previous verse earlier that we mentioned, then we ourselves have to do something to help our younger ones develop that faith. Alright? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for you all, okay? making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus in the sight of God and our Father. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. 
So why, why is this uh, expression even put there in the first place? Because they have benefited from that work of faith. They have benefited from what has been done, from the example of faith, and they are thankful for it. And that in itself is encouraging. That in itself develops greater faith. So there is a ripple effect on our faith on one another's faith. Your faith has an effect on mine. Do you believe that? Your faith has an effect on mine. Alvin's faith has, a, has an effect on mine. To be fair, honestly. Brother Danny's faith has an effect on mine. To be fair, honestly. Right? Amos' faith has an effect on mine. As long as you're seated here, your faith has an effect on mine. That's a fact. Okay? But that makes it all the more important. And that's why we should encourage each other all the time. That makes it even more important. Because we don't live in a vacuum. While we, while we think that, you know, sometimes we think that my faith is a personal faith. It's between me and God. Sure. It's between you and God. Yes. But we must remember that we don't live in a vacuum. So, as long as our faith is observable, or even lack of, there will be a ripple effect on others. So, our faith is influential. Others emulate and in doing so, develop their own rock-solid faith as well. Okay? Another verse, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, so that you were examples. Ah, so you see, the saints there were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So the saints in Macedonia and Achaia, clearly, they look up okay, to the, Thessal the saints in Thessalonica as examples. As examples. Good people to follow. In Luke 22 verse 31 to 32, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Remember what happened, huh? That's when Simon Peter was going to betray him already. Eh? And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So that's the importance of us having that strong faith. Because when we have a strong faith and we develop our faith, we can strengthen our brethren. Next. A productive faith produces something else that's actually very important. And uh, I'd say that it's important for our own personal lives. It's a faith that produces resilience. It's a faith that produces resilience. Huh? To, to be resilient means you're tolerant of something. You can withstand. You can withstand something. Okay, you withstand threats. First John 5 verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Our faith. Our faith. What overcomes the world? Our faith. What is in the world? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We talked about that. So what overcomes all of this? Our faith. If we are wondering, what does it take to overcome all this distraction and all the difficult things that we face in our life? All the temptations that surround us. One word. Faith. There we go. First John 5 verse 4 tells us, faith. Okay? So don't look down on the power of a rock-solid faith. We will face various storms in our lives. There are various storms. Right? People face challenges on many fronts. Okay? In work, some people nowadays, security, job security is a very, is something that's real that they feel strongly for. Whether in work, whether in the studies, more and more, more, and more children getting very stressed with the system. Right? Because... They, are, uh, having, they, they find themselves having to meet the expectations not just of their parents, but maybe of their own, because they have their own aspirations for themselves, so it gets very stressful, the environment. 
Right? These are all the storms of life. Huh? Family. Family can be very stressful. Do you believe that? Storms in our life could be very stressful. Family. Right? Caring for children. Okay? Having to, to... The antenna is always up, making sure that things are always done on time. Okay? Marriages. Okay? Ensuring that okay, the love stays strong. Things like this. This is very... These are all storms in our life. Not, not so easy to, to handle. Okay? But with faith we can defend against these storms. Because all these storms, what do they do? These storms just serve to discourage us, honestly. These storms are very discouraging. All these storms that I talked about, all the different fronts that plague us, very heavy on our shoulders to bear. Okay? But a strong faith will give us that defense. So if you're, if, if you're feeling defeated, you're feeling very upset with perhaps something that you have in your life that you find it very difficult to overcome, I want to encourage you to develop your faith, because that is the one that will help you to stay strong and committed. It gives us the defense against these storms of life. Now in Matthew 8, verse 23 and 27, we'll be very familiar with this passage, right? It says, and when he was entered into a ship, that's Jesus, huh? when he, Jesus, would enter into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, in so much that the ship was covered with the waves, and he was asleep, or Jesus was sleeping. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? So we see the problem here. What does little faith, how did that little faith, so-called little faith, result? Uh, uh, in the, uh, how did that lead to something? We see that because they had little faith, they were so fearful. Little faith leads to fear. That's why they went to the Lord. Say, hey, we're perishing. Look. Because their eyes, when they have little faith, their eyes are no longer fixated on the master who was asleep inside the boat. On the boat. When they have little faith, their eyes were no longer on him. They were with him. They have seen the things that he has done. But they forgot to see, look at him. They were looking at the surrounding. They were looking at the tempers. They were looking at things that are plaguing them round about. And so this is exactly what I mean when we need to develop a stronger faith to be resistant, to have that resilience against the storms of our life. Because the storms of our life compel us to look at them. Right? Whirlwind coming your way. You look at the whirlwind, you run, right? But of course, the, at the end of the day, we forget that we need to look to God. We need to look to Jesus. Because when we look to God, we look to Jesus, then can we remain calm? Then can we remain in the eye of the storm? Last but not least, the third main point that I have to share today is to, to have that of a rooted faith. A rooted faith. Okay, we need to have a rooted faith. Right? Uh, roots are extremely important. Right? I, I can't remember my science classes anymore. Okay? But I know at least for a fact that roots definitely help with the support of the tree. Right? The trees, without the roots, have fallen a long time ago, right? Um, you think about so Singapore uh, is a garden city. Uh. Is this city in a garden or garden in a city? And then I leave to you to decide. <laughs> but how is this possible? It's possible because of the dense our foliage and all that matured adult trees that we have here in Singapore. Now you go to overseas and uh, you travel. Uh, okay, I'm not sure whether you notice, but I can't help but realize that sometimes I go to a lot of countries, no matter how much I love those countries. Uh, Usually, 
I find that there are way more trees here we have, more, more dense in terms of the trees that we have here in Singapore. Yeah. I, I, find, I call it a blessing. I call it a blessing. Okay. So, these adult trees, uh, you know, especially like maybe even for drivers, huh? maybe a bit Danny or Amos, or you drive along your Chukang Road. Oh, I see all the adult trees. Well, very nice, though. Have you ever, those drivers, uh, if you, you drive along a, road, a straight road, just a straight road, then you just do, wow, the very nice scenery, very beautiful. Yeah. And it's because of all those matured adult trees. How do they hold themselves in place? The roots, right? The roots. Okay. Not only that, the roots also help with. The roots actually extend downwards. Uh. The roots extend downwards until they can reach uh, the water source at the bottom of the soil. Uh, okay, that's how the trees can survive. Then you wonder, wow, how does this tree survive? You mean this kind of uh, rainfall can actually sustain all these things? Uh, the root system digs down all the way until they can find the water source underground. Then, it can, at least they can continue to sustain themselves through the water source. Colossians chapter 2 verse 7 tells us that we need to be rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as He has been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So the importance of being rooted. If it's important for trees to be rooted, it's also important for us in our faith to be rooted. So, when it comes to a rooted faith, what do I mean? I mean that it's a faith that is rooted in hope. That's rooted in hope. Alright? Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. You know what's an anchor? An anchor? You probably won't see an anchor. You probably won't see an anchor unless you intentionally go and look for it. Right, because most of the time we are enjoying ourselves on the, on the big boat but we forget what's at the bottom. Yeah. So the anchor is that heavy weight okay, that they drop it down into the ocean floor. So that heavy anchor is meant to help to stabilize the big vessel so that it doesn't get tossed about. That's what an anchor is all about. Right. So what is that anchor of the soul in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19? The anchor of the soul is the hope that we have. The hope that we have, the Christian's hope, is our anchor for the soul. Hope gives us strength and motivation, right? If we have no hope in something, we can't be bothered, right, about it. We don't work for it, right? You don't desire anymore, right? You have hope, that's why you do something, right? I mean, if, even as uh, pragmatically as, uh, for example, those who are unwell, those who are sick, or maybe those who unfortunately uh, contracted some terminal disease or what, whatever treatment that you take, you take it because you have some hope. The hope to recover or the hope to feel better. That is why you take it, right? Yeah. Students put in effort, they study. What's the hope? Because they have a hope that they know that by, they think that by studying, they can do well in something. Right? Why do you continue to go for classes? Because you have a hope. The hope is that when you put in the effort to go to do these things, you will attain something. So if we have hope, we do it. Right? Why do people continue to chase after someone else? Because they have hope to be together. You have no hope, you don't want to chase after them anymore. You give up. Okay? Our hope. Our hope is the anchor for our soul. Our hope is to get to heaven. That is that hope that we have. That's why in Hebrews 6 verse 19 it says, Which entereth into that within the veil. What is into that within the veil? In the past, in the old tabernacle. Enter up into that within the veil, the mercy seat. 
right? The mercy seat. The Holy of Holies, where so-called the presence of God is at. To be with God. Our hope is to be with God. We want to be with God. That hope must sustain us. That hope must keep us committed to the faith that we have. Okay? So our hope is that anchor for the soul, lest we be tempted, lest we lose our way because of stumbling blocks that are placed on our path. Rooted in hope. That's extremely important. Next, to be rooted in truth. To be rooted in truth. Alright? In Colossians 2 verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Number one. Number two, vain deceit. And what about this philosophy and vain deceit? These are after the tradition of men. Is it after did he write the tradition of God? No, it's the tradition of men. The, the tradition came from men. It's not commanded by God. After the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Especially the last few words there. Not after Christ. So our faith must be rooted in hope, but also must be rooted in truth. And the truth can only be found in Christ Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? That's what he says. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ is the truth. It must be rooted in Christ and no one else. A faith that is not built on the truth of God's word is a faith that does not stand. You agree? Do you agree? Yeah, I see some nods. Yeah. It must be rooted in truth. If it's rooted in someone else's stories or it's rooted in someone else's so-called uh, teachings, that may sound logical, that may sound reasonable, but it will not stand. It will not stand. We may have some faith because of another person, but this faith does not last if we don't anchor it in truth. So anchor it in Christ Jesus, in particular, His Word. So we need to constantly draw on the Word of God for nourishment. So I, I um, described how roots sink, down, sink themselves down into the ground to find a water source so they can sustain themselves from that water source. Right? Likewise, okay, the description is similar for us when it comes to growing our faith in truth. Our roots must sink down, sink deep into the Word of God. And from there, draw nourishment. Draw that spiritual food from the Word of God. Because if we don't draw the spiritual food from the Word of God, we are drawing it from someone else, our best friends, our good friends, our own logic, our own philosophies. That's the wrong nourishment. Right? Every morning, we take, some of us take vitamins every morning, right? That's precisely why we, why are we taking vitamins? Because we want to be healthy. Because <laughs> we want our body, to sustain our bodies. We want to keep our body in tip-top condition. You must take the right thing. Eh? If I tell you, say, hey, your body vitamins contains lead. You continue taking it. Eh? In fact, my friend told me uh, a few days ago, he said, I don't know how recent it was, the Hershey chocolate, the Hershey dark chocolate, there was some lead that was found. And then scared. Everybody started scared of taking the Hershey chocolate. Yeah. Maybe they would have done something already by now. But it's the same thing. If I told you right now, the vitamins that you eat contains lead, will you take that multi vitamin? Ah, uh, don't worry lah, it's, it's, it's a 5, 0 point, don't know how many mg, don't worry. Everything else is good, see? I show you the list. Everything else is very good. Vitamin A, B, C, D, E and whatever, B complex and everything else. And don't worry, that lead there, don't worry, just one out of 100. One item out of 100, no problem, I still can eat. Well, everything you take, the lead. 
Will you do it or not? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? It sounds ridiculous. You, you won't do it, right? Logically, you won't do it. Then why are, <laughs> why are people doing it when it comes to the Word of God? Why, why are people so open to, uh, don't worry, as long as we're 99% correct and 1% is wrong, don't worry, don't worry. I think something that we need to think harder about. Uh, in Galatians 1 verse 6 to 7, Paul writes, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Oh, another gospel. Is there such thing as another gospel? There's no such thing. Because in verse 7, he writes, which is not another. There's no another gospel. Okay, But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So there are people... In that time, in that era, in that age, there are already people who are out there willing to pervert the gospel of Christ. In our minds, we're thinking, huh, got such people? How can there be such people? Oh, there, were, there were people in the past like this. There will be people today. I won't be surprised. So we got to be very careful with what we read and what we study. Okay, so we need to draw on the Word of God for nourishment. And draw on it, we must. And last but not least, a rooted faith is a faith that's rooted in love. In love. Alright. In Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 19, Paul writes, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So in verse 18 and 19, Paul writes about the immense love that Christ has. We sing the hymn, The Love of God. We can't, we can't measure the love of God. We can't measure it. It's immeasurable because it's too much. <laughs> okay, it's immeasurable because it's too much. But because it's too much, and because it's immeasurable, all the more I'd say we should ground ourselves in it. All the more I'd say we should sink our roots in it. Because there's so much of love that God can give to us. And it never ends. It's limitless. <laughs> that's the beauty of it. Okay, that's the beauty of it. Sink our roots in God's love. Appreciate and know your Savior who died for you because He loved you to die for you. And soak it in because there's so much love that you can't even, there's no stoppage to it. Okay? There's so much love that God has for us. Love is powerful. Love is compelling. If there's no love, a lot of things won't be done, right? If there's no love, there's no sacrifice. You won't, you won't bother. If there's no love, relationships won't be healed. If there's no love, right, you won't put in effort to do something for our families. Likewise, if there's no love, why would God not bother to send His Son to die for us? Because there's love. There's something that we must not forget and don't take it for granted. Because God loves us. God loves individually, each and every one of us. That's why He has done that. So love is the foundation on which our faith is built upon. It's because of that love that God has for us then we can build on it. Then we can get stronger. Okay? And the more we appreciate the love God has for us, 
the more we will love Him. Do you love God? Do you love God? If someone asks, do you love God? How honest can you be in answering that question? Do you love God? Can it be a resounding yes? Or is it a diplomatic yes? Now, even as I'm saying these things, I'm also mindful of myself. Right? Can this be a resounding, convincing yes? Or is it a diplomatic yes? I would say the only way for us to really love God and to grow in our love for Him is to appreciate, appreciate Him more for what He has done. And in how to appreciate God, we need to take stock of what He has done for us. We're not just about knowing that Christ died for us, but it's also about knowing what He does for us on a day-to-day basis. That's why counting our blessings is always very important. Counting our blessings day-to-day. Before we sleep, take a, take a stock take, so to speak, on the things that you can be thankful for for the day. This will, in a way, help us to better appreciate the love that God has for us, the blessings that He showers upon us as His children. So with that, we need to develop a faith as a grain of mustard seed. The faith of a mustard seed must be a growing faith. When a Christian grows in his faith, there's growth in conviction towards God. When a Christian grows in his faith, there's increased perceived value in his faith or her faith. It matters. When a Christian grows in faith, there's discipline that comes along with it. To grow, a, to develop a faith as a grain of mustard seed, it must be a productive faith. It cannot be a faith that is just spoken of for fun. It must be backed up. You know, there's this phrase called walk the talk. It must bear fruits. It must produce faith in others as well. And when I say produce faith, it's about our influence on one another. And it also allows us to be more resilient in the face of storms that we come across in life. And of course, the faith as a great of mustard seed is one that is a rooted faith. It's rooted in hope because we know that we want to get to heaven. It's rooted in truth. Truth that only Christ can give us. And it's rooted in love because we know that God has so much of love to give to us and it can never be extinguished. So the last verse reference that I'd like to share with all of us, even as we close, is in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 3. The Apostle Paul writes, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written. You, he's pointing to them. He's pointing to the saints there. You are our epistle written in our hearts known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. So the Apostle Paul here writes about the saints there being epistles of Christ. They're epistles. They, the, the, their, their behavior, their conduct, their manner of life is seen and observed by those around them. They are the living episodes of Christ. They don't need letters of commendation. They don't need people to recommend. You know, like, hey, you know, now, now this, 
not re- referral, you want to get loan and bank loan and whatever, you need referrals. Huh? Uh, schools also, you've got good character award, you need referrals. Uh, who can refer? Who can, who's the seconder? You've got seconder means this person not bad, uh, people willing to refer you. Paul writes here, do we need all this? We don't need this because those, these saints, they are the epistles of Christ themselves. So brethren and friends, my brethren and friends, I encourage you to develop our faith to the point where we can be the written epistles of Christ. We don't need any recommendation from people. And how to do this? Develop, increase our faith. For those who have not, who have been joining us on a regular basis, and perhaps by now, you already know that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you, and that obviously is to develop your faith in Him too. And how should it be developed? It should be developed in the following ways. Because God wants to save you. God wants to save all of us. Perhaps you already have heard the gospel. You've heard the word of God. And you believe. You believe in the word of God. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You already have started on a good note on, in terms of the faith. You have started already. What you need to do is to repent. God says repent. Turn away. Turn away from the past doings. Things that you have not been doing, that you've been doing against him all the time. Turn away. Turn away from the trespasses. Come back to him. And then God says we need to confess. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because if you confess him before men, Jesus will confess you before God who is in heaven. You recognize him, he will recognize you on his part. And of course, to be submerged in water, to be baptized for the remission of our sins. And from there, you can join the kingdom of God to be obedient unto death, together with the saints. Thank you. And camped along the hills of life, the Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hung. Faith is the victory we know, that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory, faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. His banner over us is the our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath, swept on over every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory. Faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. To him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall begin. Before the angels he shall know, his name confess in hand. Then onward from the hills of life, our hearts with love aflame. We'll vanquish all the hosts of night 
Jesus' conquering name. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world.